Welcome to a brand new edition of Yuan's. I'm Omar Moore. Wild is the wind. And Watford with the same result. At Queen's Park Rangers, a defeat. As QPR defeat Watford by one goal to nil. More of the same at Loftus Road. All of that coming up on this brand new edition of Rambling, gambling man. Look, that is what uh, the Watford owner, Gino Pozzo, is. He is a rambling, gambling man. He's a gambling man. And look, I think in some instances, and welcome to this brand new edition of Yawns, I am Omar Moore. It's great to be able to have you listening, fellow Watford fans. Thank you very much indeed. I have to say, he is a rambling, gambling man. And I think we, I think we as Watford supporters know this that the owner of the football club that we love so much has gambled and won in a number of instances for the benefit of this club. And I will always, and I think we all as Watford supporters, will be uh, forever grateful to Gino Pozzo for the first number of years that he owned this club and has owned it because he really did turn things around here. We had Lawrence Pessini, who was an absolute crook, uh, who, look, as far as I'm concerned, um, uh, really put a stain on this club for all the shenanigans that he got up to. I mean, it was absolutely um, appalling. Let's just put it that way. And Gino Pozzo turned this club around and brought it a status and an air of respectability again. You know, after what we saw the great Graham Taylor Elton John years, we have in Gina Pozzo those first few years a stellar, stellar run. Some success, playoff final, playoff final again, if I remember correctly. And FA Cup final, FA Cup semi-final under Kike Sanchez Flores. And flirting with Europe under Javi Gracia. And four and a half years or so or four seasons, five seasons, whatever, whichever the four or five seasons in the Premier League consecutive. So things worked very, very well. And the facilities in and around the club, all kinds of things that I think um, have really bolstered, re- re-energized the profile of Watford Football Club. But what has happened since, let's say at the end of that 2018-19 season, which is a season that a lot of us as Watford supporters do talk about because it's a pivotal season. I think that after that cup run, and I think you've heard this from so many Watford supporters, and I'm hardly the first one to say this, after that cup run that resulted in that humiliation in the FA Cup final against Manchester City in 2019 at Wembley, the home of football, 
There was nothing really done to reshuffle the deck at Watford with the players. This was as far as Javi Gracia probably could have taken them. And many of us probably were mixed about this. I think maybe a lot of Watford fans might have said, well, you know what, keep Gracia, bring him into the brand new season. He certainly earned that. I think I, I remember myself saying that. He got you to an FA Cup final. He got you to... Uh, 11th place in the Premier League, Watford's highest ever finish in the Premier League. And yeah, you should keep someone like that. And they did. And then for the first four games, you know, four games into the season, he sacked. But the player personnel didn't really change. And the player personnel didn't change appreciably during the summer transfer market. And that was the missed opportunity. And I think had that player personnel changed sufficiently enough and there had been some real wholesale changes and some dynamic things done I think there's a good possibility Watford wouldn't have been relegated in that season that followed because of course Gracia got sacked after four games Kike Sanchez Flores was brought in and he didn't last but two months Nigel Pearson was brought in in November of that particular year. This is 2019 I'm talking about now. Remember that one of the the first game in charge for Kike, and I'm doing this all by memory off the top of my head. The first game in charge for Kike Sanchez-Flores was a 2-2 draw against against Arsenal. Arsenal had taken a 2-0 lead. Watford came back with two goals. And then what happened in the next game was a trip to Manchester City if memory serves me correctly. And you remember that Manchester City, clean off of just, you know, three or four months prior to that, beating us 6-0 in the FA Cup final, beat us 8-0 at the Etihad in the Premier League. So what you had, and I'm going through this history for a reason, what you had there was a big disaster. And it was very clear that Kike Sanchez-Flores coming in the second time around just didn't work out. Um... He should never have been sacked the first time. That's the problem for me, is that he never should have been dismissed, rather. Uh, the first time, he was not given another contract. And then what happened was, because that was Watford's first season back into the Premier League in 2015. And that 2015-16 season was a success. Again, that was the season that saw uh, Watford get to the FA Cup semi-final, losing to Crystal Palace saw them finish a respectable 13th in the Premier League, and it saw Watford be safe, really not ever having any problem with, with relegation, no issue at all. They didn't ever flirt with relegation that season. And the owner's response to that was, well, we're going to give it to someone else to do with. And he brought in Walter Matsari, and we know how that turned out. Watford barely escaped relegation, finished just above, maybe I think it was 19th, uh, sorry, 17th. They finished 17th that season. And then he got sacked. In fact, he got sacked before the season was over. And, you know, he was told that he he would be able to finish out the season. It was, you know, it was basically announced before that season. Then you brought in another manager. And so you see where all this went. Marco Silva, da-da-da-da-da-da. And, and there we go. And we know what happened. And so I think one of the missteps, and some people would say that uh, uh, Slava Djukanovic, Levisa Djukanovic, if I can say his name, was another misstep. Should have kept him on. Earned the right to give Watford a chance in the Premier League and get them a chance. And he didn't do that, the owner. And so there are missteps. And so Pearson came in in 2019 and 
gave Watford a very good lift against Liverpool. Liverpool still won the game. Watford missed many opportunities at Anfield that day. They lost 2-0. Then we got to the 2020 portion of that season. Of course, the pandemic hit. The last game before the pandemic in earnest was the game that Watford played against Liverpool. You remember that on that, on that leap day Friday, that leap day Saturday uh, at the Vic was quite an atmosphere there. A famous win, a 3-0 throttling of a Liverpool side that hadn't lost a Premier League game all season long. Um, the two goals, of course, from Ismail Assar and then Troy Deeney scored as well. So that was, the, that was you know, that was under Nigel Pearson. But you see, the problem was is that in that, ser- that very same game, Gerard de la Feo got injured. It was a nasty injury. Really awful injury. People forget that now about that Watford-Liverpool game. People do not talk about that heinous injury that uh, De La Feo suffered, I think, just before half-time of that match. And Watford came away from that with a win, but they really lost a whole lot more despite winning the game. And all I'm saying here about all of this is, is that I think that that was a sign that the changes at Watford in the personnel should have been made in that summer that preceded the start of the 1920, the 2019-2020 season, if they weren't. And all the changes got made in season, during the season, when they should have all been made in the summer, prior to the season starting, prior to that 2019-20 season starting. So my whole point here is to say that Gino began to get things wrong from that point. And unfortunately for him, he didn't change that. He didn't change that process. And so it just kept going and kept going and kept going. And then in 2022, we were told, come hell or high water. We were told that. Now, there was a promotion in between in the pandemic year and the, in 2021. But... Their promotion was attained without any real plan behind what was going to happen next. And Watford were not as equipped as I think some thought they would be to sustain the season in that Premier League season in 2021-22. And that proved to be correct because Watford went straight back down. They had an, hot, they had an awful season. But what was happening was that changes were being made without any attention to detail when it came to defending. And the recruiting, which we have long known has been a disaster at Watford, um, was not there. And so you had all of this change, but it was not change in any way that would affect what was going on on the pitch. It was change all over the place, trying to find these pieces to fit that wouldn't fit. And that's why I've called Gino lately a, a jigsaw puzzle owner because he is just really just trying to scat is scattered and he's finding these pieces to fit together instead of having a plan for some kind of stability so that you can bring up a squad of players men's players in this case who are going to be cohesive and adhesive and players who are going to form a bond and a work ethic under a manager that you basically grow the club or grow that first team of men with. If you grow together and you build something over a two or three year period, you fortify that team and you build around it for the Premier League so that by the time you get promoted to the Premier League, that summer prior to that start of that Premier League season, 
you can then fortify the core of what you've got by putting in maybe four additional pieces, you know, not too much change, instead of having 15 different signings that Watford did coming in to that 2021-22 season. They had a load of signings. They got someone from Scotland, and he never played a real game of Premier League football. They got Josh King, and Josh King started out pretty well. But after he scored that hat-trick at Everton, you remember that 5-2 to two game, that legendary game that Watford won, their first ever win at Goodison Park in the history. After Josh King scored that hat-trick, he didn't do much else the entire season. Yes, he had an injury or two here and there, but he didn't do anything else. So all of this history, and I haven't even got to Queen's Park Rangers versus Watford, but the reason why I start with Bob Seeger and the Ramblin' Gamblin' Man, that tune that you just heard, is because really that's who Gino Pozzo has been these last, you know, four seasons, three or four seasons. And the bloom has now come off the rose. And whereas that gamble paid off for the first five or six years of Gino's really good tenure at the club, that the bloom has come off the rose now. That rose is not smelling so sweet anymore. And the problem is, is that, as I've outlined in previous editions of this podcast, is that I don't think that Gino Pozzo at this point can smell that that rose does not have that same sweet smell anymore. So now there is this continuation of the jigsaw puzzle. So here we are, and that brings us to Chris Wilder. Chris Wilder came in, and I've talked about this before, but Chris Wilder came in and he knew what he was getting into against Queen's Park Rangers. He knew what he was getting into before the season, before he got appointed, I should say, at Watford, as he got appointed uh, last week. The bottom line, though, is that Chris Wilder was brought in to do a job here, these final 11 games. Watford are not out of reach of the playoffs, but I now think that the playoffs are over for Watford, even though mathematically it's, it's not over. I do think it is over because I think once you make a managerial change this soon, before the season ends, that is essentially a throw-in-the-towel move and a save-face move. That's what, I am, that's what I'm thinking here. And Chris Wilder, um, it's admirable that he's come in. It's a very difficult job for anyone coming in straight away to start fixing a team that has had problems all season. Now, as for the game, and I'll get back to some of that about uh, Chris Wilder, but as for the game, Watford come into that game yesterday and they were, at the, that minute, they were... Four points off the playoff spots. A win would have brought them closer. And Queen's Park Rangers had not won a game at Loftus Road, at the Keon Prince Stadium, since October the 22nd of last year, 2022. Queen's Park Rangers had not won any of their previous 13 games. And Queen's Park Rangers had lost five consecutive games in the championship. Queen's Park Rangers had been absolutely left by the side of the road. Gareth Ainsworth was brought in, and you remember that name because he was the former, he once was the Wickham Wanderers manager. For those of you uh, locally, you know. And so 
Gareth Ainsworth, who kind of resembles at times a younger, much, much, much younger edition of Ozzy Osbourne. Although and that and that's that's not meant to denigrate him at all. It's to say that when I watch Gareth Ainsworth on the sideline, they have this camera shot on him. He does remind me of a younger edition, although more statesmanlike <laughs> than than Ozzy Osbourne. Ozzy, Ozzy Osbourne. But that's neither here nor there. The the thing for me is that. Queen's Park Rangers came out as a desperate team yesterday. And I'm not going to run through the Watford lineup. There were a couple of changes that Chris Wilde made. He made some of the left back. James Morris was not in the squad. And, you know, that's really... And Gaspar was the right back. But there's just really not much else to say about that. Um, the formation, I think, was good as it started. I think it's a 4 Three one two something of that nature, and then it switched. I think toward the uh, middle of the game when there was changes made, and I think it was a, a three four three or a four four two. I think it actually was more of a four four two formation. But the bottom line is, is that all you need to know about the game yesterday, from a Watford perspective, is that Watford did not come out with the required desire and hunger. Watford did not come out with the required passion. And the required desperation, the required energy, the required intensity for a playoff run, for a chance to be in the playoffs. And that's the thing for me that I think is, uh, well, you know, it's, it's disappointing, but it's not surprising because this has been the problem all season long. Watford did not come out with the required passion. And not even the appointment of a brand new manager, brand new head coach, energized them. Didn't do it. Usually there's a new manager bounce. If you look back to Roy Hodgson, for goodness sake, I can't bear to utter the man's name. But if you go back to Roy Hodgson last season, there actually was, at least the first game that he was in charge, that was against Burnley, where Burnley and Watford played to a nil-nil draw in a horrible, horrible night of football. I mean, it was a forgettable game to watch. The conditions were awful. The wind and the rain and the... It was just horrible. It was freezing cold. Balls swirling all over the place. Watford should have had a penalty in that game. VAR didn't even look at it. And again, this is off the top of my head because I remember all of this pretty darn clearly. Um, but the bottom line here is that Watford were more spirited under... Roy Hodgson in that first game. Now the rest of the ga- uh, the rest of the games and the rest of the way was of course uh, quite a different story. Um, and Watford definitely defended better. And that was their first clean sheet of the season. That was in February of 2022. And so Watford had at least in that first game under a new manager had some energy. But yesterday against Queens Park Rangers, a team that Watford knew were in the bottom four, a team that Watford knew had lost their last five games, a team that Watford knew hadn't won since October in the at home. Watford didn't show that desperation. First half, they didn't lay a glove on Queen's Park Rangers. The goalkeeper for QPR, Sammy Dang, said, thank you very much indeed. That was the easiest uh, 95, 97 minutes of wages I'll ever earn. And that's what happened in the second half. Watford never laid a glove on this lot at Queen's Park Rangers. And the atmosphere became really febrile in the second half. 
very tense, very edgy. Um, you know, there was some man that was marauding around near the QPR goal and right in front of the Watford uh, away support, which was 3,000 plus strong. It was really good to see Watford supporters, as always, traveling well. And uh, the local trip down to West London, you know, 26 miles or thereabouts, um, you know, it was really good to see both tiers of that stand behind the QPR goal filled to capacity with Watford supporters. So there were all these things going on. There's a couple of the disturbances and near the Watford end, uh, in the Watford end. There was certainly a disturbance on Hive Live because Watford fans who had paid money to either watch or listen to the game were blessed with no commentary whatsoever from John Marks and Tommy Mooney for the first 21 minutes of the game. So imagine if you're someone who purchased an audio pass for the game at Queen's Park Rangers and you didn't hear any commentary. All you heard was crowd noise for 21 minutes. And you heard Queen's Park Rangers scoring in the 15th minute. And that was the only goal of the game. And that's what all you heard for the first 21 minutes was just noise. If you were like me, someone who purchased the, the visual, the match day video, live commentary, you just saw pictures. And then you actually got to see Burnley versus Wigan. And you got to hear Burnley versus Wigan for almost two minutes before... You then got to see QPR Watford and actually hear John Marks and Tommy Mooney. And so it's just been a nightmare of a season for Watford. The game itself in the second half, Watford did put themselves about for about 15 minutes, just like the game against Preston. Um, like the game, or excuse me, like the game against uh, Sheffield United the previous weekend before, where Watford had 15 good minutes, uh, I think, and then they just completely flamed out in that game. Um, same thing with Preston as well, 15 half-decent minutes. Actually, it was the Preston game where they put the 15 minutes together in the second half, and they really didn't lay a glove on Preston. So you have this repeated situation of Watford not laying a glove on these teams, whether the team is near the top of the table or whether the team's near the bottom. And with Preston, who are mid-table, Watford just didn't do anything meaningful against Preston. It was all very haphazard and panicky and desperate. And just like yesterday, Watford could not sustain possession. And when they did have possession, it was so frenzied. They were, in a way, desperate, but they were disorganized. And when you have desperation, yes, in football, you can perhaps be a bit disorganized, but you've got to have some organizational ability. And Watford just weren't organized in their attack. And as so often is the case... The final ball was not good enough. Ismail Assar countless times did not bring that final ball delivery that was needed. End product was lacking. Nobody got any really good shots at the QPR goal. There were two tame shots, one from Gaspar in the second half, and I think one in the first half as well. Might have been from Gaspar as well. But Sammy Dieng, the QPR goalkeeper, as I just mentioned before, is not troubled. Watford did not lay a glove on Queen's Park Rangers the entire game any, any, in any meaningful way. And this is a team that's in the bottom four. And so mathematics means absolutely nothing if you're not bringing any kind of real effort and desire. I mean, come on. You've got to bring some desire and passion into these games. Tepid shots. Uh, that's not going to do it. And you can have as much possession as you wish in a game. 
You can have as much possession as you want, but if you are frenzied and disorganized in your possession, if you have poor end product, if you have a poor final ball, it doesn't matter how much possession you have. You're working hard, but you're not working smart. And I think Watford were guilty of that yesterday. They were guilty of working hard at times in that second half when they were absolutely given. You must have known they had to have been given a tonkin at half time by Chris Wilder. But in that second half, Watford were working hard for about 15 minutes, but they weren't working smart. They weren't working smart. And you can have 100 points to play for in a season run up to a playoff chase. But if you don't bring the energy and the heart and the passion and desire for that entire game, and if you're not desperate to win the games, it doesn't matter how many points. You could have a thousand points to play for to get to a playoff spot. But if you don't bring that desire, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean anything. You can be mathematically alive for a hundred years. But if you don't bring the energy and the passion in these games, it doesn't matter how many points because you're not going to pick them up. You're not going to pick those points up. When I return on this brand new edition of Yawns, a word from the new gaffer, Chris Wilder. Chris, uh, not the start you wanted. No, not the start that I wanted, and the, and the travelling supporters wanted, and um, and I, I should imagine if if they've got any feeling about themselves, the players as well. So yeah, we we knew what we were coming into. I know you know that you know with with the sort of lead up time to the first game, it wasn't wasn't the ideal one. Um, and and I've got to say, you know, um, in terms of in terms of the game, it was a typical championship game. First goal is really important, you know, all about first and second balls until the game settles down. Um, and, you know, I thought they they won more first and second balls, dropped on more second balls than us, um, played in a way that, that was successful for them. When we broke it up, we didn't do enough with the ball. We weren't creative enough. We weren't brave enough in terms of um, our, our, our sort of decision making. And, and we turned the ball over. Too many times, the amount of times that we just, you know, especially second half when we had a we had a period of fifteen to twenty minutes just after half time that we were better than what we were first half. We just kept turning it over, and then when we did get into decent areas, we didn't show the quality that we needed to get back into the game. So I knew the game how it was going to pan out, um, you know, and um, and and you know, I would say the last sort of ten and fifteen minutes become extremely scrappy because. We're, we're, we're chasing it. We're trying to change different formations to to, to, to get back into the game. Um, not none of that really worked, um, and they they go on with the three points, and it's a big three points for them. Shout, Pedro! Is that a penalty shout? I've got to say, uh, it, uh, you know, there was a lot of lot of obviously talk talk about it. I've not I've not watched it back. 
Um, but we're clutching if we just, you know, we're, we're, we're just hoping for a, for a penalty shout, you know, with the players especially. You know, in that period of second half, we have to do a lot better in the final third with the quality that we've got. We just didn't show that. Um, and there's just a little bit of fragility about us at the moment and a little bit of, of a lack of confidence to show, you know, that final pass, run, cross, finish that that gets you back into the game and goes on to win it. But And we, and we don't show that. When we do get into those positions, then we're not going to get anything from the game. And that's what's happened today. It felt like there was a bit more desire in the second half. Did you get at them at half-time? Listen, it's not really getting at them. I mean, I, I, I knew how the game was going to going to pan out, and it was it was to to a to a tee how it was going to pan out. You know, it was going to be direct. It was going to be it was going to be physical. You know, it's always a tough place to come here. Um, you know, when when the crowd are really behind you, um, which, which which they were, and and from our point of view, you know, it's not always you know just winning that first or second ball. It's an anticipation and reaction as well. And they were just quicker to everything, quicker to everything, stronger in every in in, in every department, and won all those key battles all over the pitch in the first half, and allowed them set themselves up to get in front, and and allowed them to to have a foothold in the game, and and then to dictate the outcome of the game. Have you found out a bit more about your players after this than what you have seen in training? Yep, of course. Um, you know, you can see things in training. We've we've we've, we've certainly not uh, not not done a lot. Which listen, that's not an excuse. I, I understood the position coming in on 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 Wednesday in the lead up to to a game, and you try and work on a few bits and pieces. But you know, it's never enough time, of course. But you know, like I said, it's, it's I, I accept that and understand that. But I think, you know, when I, when I look back at the video and, and seen it up close and personal today, like I will, will have done, I, I, I will have done. Uh, I, I will have learned a, a lot more about, about the players and about, about, you know, maybe what is, you know, the shortcomings of the team and the group at the moment. I think the captain said it afterwards um, when, when, when uh, I allowed him to have, have, have his opinion. It's, it's something that's happened all too often this season, that type of, that type of performance. Um, so... You know, we've got to quickly get over it um, and try and get something out of the next two games. And if we do, if we do get a couple of wins, which, you know, we're more than capable of doing, um, then, you know, we, we, we put ourselves in a better position. But it's a disappointing day all round and there's no, there's, no, uh, there's no other way of talking and dealing with it. You can listen back to the first 12 seconds of the audio you just heard with that interview of Chris Wilder. That was Jeff Doyle from, I think, Three County Sport in uh, BBC Three County Sport. Um, and thank you, by the way, to Watford Football Club for providing the audio for that interview of Chris Wilder after the QPR victory over Watford yesterday. The Watford gaffer, Chris Wilder. If you listen to the first 12 seconds of that, very revealing from Wilder already. When he says, so to the when he says, he talked about the supporters, not good for the supporters, what happened yesterday at uh, the Keon Prince Stadium. Not good for um, the club and not good for um, if they have any feel the players, if they have any feeling about them. And that's really revealing to me. You know, even in those first 12 seconds, he says, if, in other words, what Chris Wilder's saying there, the players, if they care about any of this, if they have any feelings about what they're doing this should not be a good result for them either. And that screams volumes to me. It's the thing that I think a lot of us as Watford supporters have been saying is that these players don't care. 
And Chris Wilder has instantly picked up on that. Now, look, Chris Wilder just got through the door on Tuesday of last week. And he hasn't had a lot of time to deal with the players and get across all he wants to get across. But to me, that doesn't mean anything right now. Why? Because this has been what we've seen all season. This has been what we've seen in the last two seasons, if not more, is that you have a collection of players who don't care. Now, there are obviously a few who do. Ken Sema cares, of course, that's clear. Jao Pedro was the only bright spot for Watford yesterday. He certainly cares. And, you know, there's a couple of other players who care as well. Hamza Chowdhury, unfortunately, though, um, is not going to be playing the next two games because Hamza Chowdhury got a yellow card again. And people can dispute that yellow card right in the injury time portion of the first half yesterday. But he is now going to get a two-game ban for yellow card accumulation. He's been a yellow carded uh, 10 times this season. So he'll miss these next two home games. And he was the one who recently was calling for Watford. Oh, we've got these three, these four important games coming up, three of the next four at home. So we've got to get maximum points and all the rest of it. And he's not going to be playing a part in the two games that he talked about as important games. I, I, I mean, this is perhaps where I'm going here. With, and I'm not saying that Hamza Chowdhury doesn't care. What I'm saying is, is that words are being spoken, but actions are proving to be very different from those words because you know that you're on nine yellow cards. You're on a tenth card coming into that game. And you know that you can't afford to do anything untoward. Even if, let's say, that Hamza Chowdhury did get the ball from the QPR player, you can't put yourself in a situation where now, knowing that you need and that your team needs a good playoff chase here, that your team needs to be positioned to start winning these games, you can't take yourself out of the equation there. And does Hamza Chowdhury care? He's a lone player. I'm not going to jump to any conclusions. Doesn't automatically mean that Hamza Chowdhury doesn't care about Watford. He knows he'll be back at Leicester next season, yeah. But I'm not going to say he doesn't care. Now, you, as a Watford fan, may come to a different conclusion, which might be warranted, might be unwarranted. But the fact of the matter is, is Hamza Chowdhury now gets to miss these next two games. Do you think Watford could have used Hamza Chowdhury? Sure, of course he could have. Of course they could have. They could have used him against Birmingham coming up on Tuesday. No real turnaround here. No, it's a quick turnaround, actually. Could they use him against the bottom club Wigan? Yeah, I wouldn't take Wigan lightly. And I predicted that Watford would lose against Queen's Park Rangers three three weeks ago. Three weeks ago. And they have. I'm not trying to be... Uh, I'm, not, I'm not celebrating that. I'm not. But Watford never played well against QPR. But Chris Wilder there, in the first few moments of that audio, that jumped out at me the first time I heard it. When he says, well, if the players have any feeling about them, you know, this should also be a bad result for them. <laughs> It's like, there you go. And he's not the first manager to say that at Watford this season. And he talked about the end product and the final ball, the final third of the pitch, the quality wasn't there. That's a broken record for Watford this season. That's been the anthem at Watford the last two seasons. We've heard this over and over again from six different Watford managers, six different Watford head coaches. We heard that from Slavin Bilic and he just got sacked. He said this. In the Middlesbrough game, he said this in a million games this season. 
Rob Edwards said the same thing. It's just that quality in the final third, you know, just not good. In the he said the same thing. I think Rob Edwards' quality in the final third is pretty good right now with the team that he's managing. They managed to beat uh, Sheffield United yesterday away from home at Bramall Lane, which is something that we did not do just two weeks before. We end up with a 1-0 defeat. So what Chris Wilder is saying, and he's only been with the team for four days, part of Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, the full day, right? So just a, just a little bit more than four days. And in the four days or so that he has been at Watford, he already noticed that immediately. And he, I mean, so this is not about players not being able to play football. This is not about professional footballers who cannot make a cross. This is about effort. This is about not giving effort. This is about not caring. This is about when you play Queen's Park Rangers, you don't want to give maximum effort. This is about when you're playing Queen's Park Rangers, you can't take a throw in and you make a foul throw. That's what this is. This is about a lack of effort, which means you don't care. That's what this means. And that was really revealing. I keep repeating that about Chris Wilder. The first 12 seconds there. Well, I imagine he's not good for the supporters. Definitely not for me, not for the club. And, you know, I'm, you know, I'm paraphrasing. And if the players have something about, have any feeling about them, it wouldn't be good for them either. I'm just paraphrasing what he said there. You can go and listen back to that, what I played you, with the first 12 seconds. That just screams trouble. That just amplifies the obvious of what many Watford supporters, what many of us have been saying for the last goodness knows how many seasons, two or three seasons now, that these players that they currently have here at Watford do not care. Do not care. They just don't care. Again, like I said, there are obviously a few who do. But I think they are being overrun by a number of players who do not care. And so you've seen what's happened this season. Hassan Kamra is out and we've seen what's happened with Ismail Assar. He picked up an injury. No word on whether he's going to be playing. Uh, at least I've not seen any word lately um, as of this recording as to whether or not Ismail Assar is going to play a part on Tuesday night. It seemed like it was a hamstring tweak for him. He's had injuries throughout the last two seasons. Um, but again, I, I think that that's the issue. I think that, again, this is not about the manager. We all know that, I think, by now. This is about the players. And there needs to be a plan in place for next season because Watford really now should not be thinking about trying to make a playoff run. I think now, and everyone's good, people will say well, it's mathematically possible. Listen, as I said a few minutes ago, if you don't have the heart and the desire, it's not possible. You forget the numbers. The numbers are not everything in football. Yes, I get it. The numbers are, you know, points and wins and draws and losses. I understand those have numbers attached to them. But there is always a story behind the numbers. That's the point I'm making. There's always a story behind the numbers. And it, it doesn't, the numbers don't just magically appear by, the, you know, by themselves. They don't just magically show up. Those numbers get produced by desire and heart and passion and spirit and energy. And if you don't have those things, those numbers are going to say something else about you. 
And for Watford, they say 51 points. That's what they say for Watford. For Watford, they say six points outside the final playoff spot. For Watford, they say 10 games left and you've got to win seven of those 10 games. That's what the numbers say. That's what the effort level says. That's what the fact is that that is what the lack of effort for the first two thirds of this season has brought you to. You've now got to kick it up an extra gear or three to win seven of the next 10 games, which you're not going to do. So the mathematics can be wherever they are, as I said earlier, doesn't matter. You have to kick it up now because you've not given any real effort this season and you've only put together two good performances this season, both of them under the man that was just sacked last week and both of them in the month of October. You now have to put together seven gems. You've got to put together at least seven spectacular efforts. And again, it's not about performance at this time of season. What it is about, though, is commitment and desire and spirit and playing together. And because Watford haven't done that this season, that first team of men, the men's first team hasn't done that, this is why you're now faced with this scrambling, desperate situation. Seven out of ten wins. That's my number. I'm saying it's seven. They got. I said it was an eight initially. They got one of those wins against West Bromwich Albion. But again, they've not won since then. And there's only ten games left. That's not enough time. It's not much time at all. You need to be coming into the final 20 games of the season with a run, with a uniform purpose, with solid, cohesive spirit. And this team doesn't have it. And I know the injuries are there and people will talk about the injuries. But when the injuries weren't there, this team didn't have that solid, cohesive spirit and togetherness at all. They didn't. They didn't have any consistency without the injuries. They don't have any consistency with the injuries. So this isn't about the injuries. The injuries is a horrible thing and we can talk about the medical staff. This is about, above all, a group of players, whether, whether they are in the starting lineup or on the bench, who aren't given maximum effort and desire and are not coming into this game looking at it as an urgent game. How could you not look at a game against... How could you look at a game... Or I should say, how could you not look at a game against Queen's Park Rangers who'd lost five in a row as a game that is urgent? How could you not look at that game as an urgent game? That, that's just negligent of you as a footballer. If you're coming into that game thinking that, oh, well, we can just take on QPR and we'll take care of them. And, it's, and, and you sit there going, how can you think like that? Football is a sport that will find you out. You will get found out in football. And Watford players have been found out. And the new gaffer has found them out too, after just one game. And that comment, I go back to them 12 seconds again. That comment is so revealing from Chris Wilder. And I think he senses that these players don't care. I think it's clear he knows that they don't care. Very revealing. I don't really have to say anything else about what Chris Wilder said because I think Chris Wilder said it <laughs> very clearly for all of us as Watford supporters to think about. I wonder if the owner will listen to what Chris Wilder said about his Watford side.
Welcome back to Eons. I'm Omar Moore. Queens Park Rangers won Watford nil. And desperation belonged to QPR yesterday. Because, as I said earlier, they wanted this game more. They absolutely played their socks off. Got the goal in the 15th minute and game was done. It was finished for Watford. They just didn't lay a glove on this QPR side all day long. Watford continue their winless run against Queen's Park Rangers. And they've not won against Queen's Park Rangers in the championship or any league football in quite some time. You know, in the few times that Watford have played QPR lately, which is, you know, six, seven times in the league at least, whether it's the, it's the championship essentially, um, Watford haven't won any of those games. None. The only game they've won against QPR in the last five or six years was the game at Loftus Road at the Keon Prince in the 2019 FA Cup final and the FA Cup run, rather. I think it was the fifth round game against QPR that uh, Etienne Capou got that goal in just before half time, And it was a Friday night and Etienne Capou put the ball in the back of the net right before, you know, about maybe 10 minutes before half time, 33rd minute. And again, I'm doing this off the top of my head. Um, Watford wore their green kits that day, that night. Javi Gracia was the manager. And yeah, Etienne Capou's goal around the 33rd minute or thereabouts was the only goal of that game. And that was that. That's the only win that Watford have had against Queen's Park Rangers over the last few years. And as I said, in any competition, and Watford just don't generally do well against QPR. I mean, I want to say that they're a bogey team for Watford, but really, I that's not giving QPR the respect. QPR richly deserved the win yesterday. They earned that win. They fought for the shirt. Watford players didn't fight for their shirt, though, did they? You know, and that's the lament for me as a Watford supporter. Didn't fight for the shirt, didn't do enough, didn't graft enough, you know? Just played with no sense of plan or direction about what they were doing. They were just going through the motions, overhit balls, you know, end product horrible, no finishing ability, British on Malonga now. Uh, I think now that is proven to be, look again, he's not had a lot of playing time, but he is now proven to be really, it's, it's, it's sad actually. I think that's the description that I would use because it's just not the same player, is it now? He's not the same player. And look, I, I get it. You can talk about the fitness levels and the lack of that, perhaps. But the fact of the matter is, is that he's not cutting the mustard, is he, for, for Watford at the moment? And it's a shame. Uh, it's kind of like, I mean, I hate to compare it to Danny Rose because Dan, uh, anyway. But, you know, I just look back at this last few years under Gino with these players that he brings in and, or, you know, the technical director brings in, not Ben Mango, although Ben Mango has fingerprints on this one with Brit. But with Danny Rose, that was a disaster. Bringing back former Watford players, Watford players who, you know, maybe started in the academy or played with Watford years and years ago, as Danny Rose did, and bringing them back years later for, you know, that kind of, um, what do you call that, testimonial tour. And it just didn't work for Danny Rose here. Boy, that didn't work. That was a real, boy, there's some really, some the backstory around that as well. I haven't got time for that in this episode, but the same thing with, Britt now. Britt, of course, played for Watford earlier in his career. And, and now it's just not been... And to be fair, he has not had the playing time. But when he has been on the pitch, he has not affected the outcome. He's not been able to really affect anything. You know, crucially, got involved in an offside situation at Reading that would have, had he not touched it, probably would have given Watford all three points in a game that they threw a 2-0 away lead in. 
And so it has not been so good so far for Brit a summer longer. And hopefully that, that that will change. But the chances are, well, you know, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, a lot of these players need to leave now. They need to leave when the season is over. I think Ben Manga will really shake things up. And I certainly hope he does because the vision of what we can expect now from Watford on the pitch with the men's first team is a vision now that needs to be perfect, needs to be cultivated now. Because if you're only going into the summer starting to just think about this for the summertime and you're going into the summer thinking about what next season's going to look like for the first time, it makes me as a Watford supporter very, very nervous because you need to have a plan now for what the season's going to look like next season. You really do. You need to go in now so that by the time the season is over and done with and Watford remain in the championship, because that's exactly where they're going to remain, you have to have a really good idea of what pieces you need. Who's leaving? Who's staying? Who do you really want here? I think that has to be up to the owner and it certainly has to be up to Ben Manga. Because I think now Craig Cathcart will probably have to move on. I think Tom Cleverley will have to move on. I think that Christian Cabaselli will have to move on. And a number of other players. I think Hamza Chowdhury is not going to probably come back. Don't forget, he is a lone player. He'll probably be happy to get back to the Premier League with Leicester because Watford are not getting there this season. They're not. And I hate to be that kind of doomsayer because, again, I'm an actually very optimistic person. But that even for me as an optimistic person in general, is not going to cut the mustard for Watford. You can't have, you're not going to have a season where in the last 10 games, you're going to suddenly win eight games in a row. Now it's happened for some teams, you know, but that was with the same manager who they hired before, you know, a certain point. Now, I've mentioned his name before. I guess I'll mention it again. Roy Hodgson did that with West Brom. West Brom went on this incredible run. And he was there, I think, for a few months prior to that run that they made at the end of the season to stay in the Premier League. That was year, a few years back when West Brom were, I think, unbeaten. I think they lost just once and they had won all these games. They had a really, really good run. And you're not going to have that with a manager who's just come in the door now and made the comments he made in the first 12 seconds of that audio. I keep repeating like a broken record of talking about you're not going to have that. You're not going to have that for the reasons I've already talked about. So Watford now will have to plan now for next season. Because these 11 games now, this team is on the beach. And they've been on the beach. Listen, I'll tell you this. This team has been on the beach for the majority of this season. For the majority of this season. They've had two very good performances, I told you, under the manager that they just sacked. That were the, those are the two games in October, Stoke and the team up the M1. Those are the only two performances this season where I can say, yeah, they really wanted it. They were at it. They were dominant. They were very, very good in both games. And yes, one of those games was against that team up the M1 who had real stomach problems, that they were sick. With a manager who has now been sacked or has gone from two different teams, including the one that we beat back in October. So again... This notion that Watford have had a good season is just not true. I hope no one is thinking that they have. I hope no one in that boardroom is thinking that this is good enough for Watford Football Club and that this is good enough for them and this is good enough for the supporters because if they are thinking that this is good enough, then they certainly need to go as well.
But that's something that many of us have said for a number of seasons now. The club is not being run well. I mean, we have to be honest and let's not be in denial about that. You know, that's kind of this syndrome of, oh, well, the club. It's like you're being put in a trance and believing into believing that somehow what's happening at Watford right now is good. It's not positive. What's happening in areas at areas of this club, when it's on the pitch, whether it's the relationship with the fans, whether it's the Hive Live situation, those things are not good things. Those are not positive things. Those are toxic things. And that is part of the toxic culture in some areas of this club in terms of how it deals with the players. There have been all these rumors about the salary situation uh, and the wage situation and the thing with the canteen. I don't really want to go into that because the newspaper from that from which that comes is not a newspaper. I would. uh, Well, we'll just leave it there. But the bottom line is, is that is the so-called allegation that some of the players were upset and the money and the wages and they're taking wages from their paychecks and da 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 whatever the you know I don't really want to get into that but again if those things are true it just feeds into all the other things that are going on and the whole thing with the coach situation with Luton I know I mentioned the name of the club and the whole thing about well you know you need to do this you need to do that I mean this is not how a football club is supposed to be treating its fans. It's not. I'm not even talking about Watford specifically now. This situation at Watford is not something that should go on at any football club at all. But it's happening at our club. And it's been happening for the last couple of seasons. It's not right. And you can't sit here and say, oh, well, it was worse in other days. Whether that's true or not is not the issue. The issue is, is right now in front of you, you've got this situation that's not healthy for the club and it's not healthy for the fans. That's the situation. And that needs to be dealt with and changed. Follow you on WFC on Instagram and on Twitter. And... Subscribe to the Yuans podcast, the Yuans Watford FC podcast. That's what you're listening to right now. It would be wonderful to have your subscription. Thank you for those of you who have subscribed. Download and share this episode and all episodes of the Yuans Watford FC podcast. And don't forget to subscribe to the Yuans WFC YouTube channel. There is my most recent 10-minute take on Queen's Park Rangers versus Watford. Don't forget to like the videos and share them as well. Watford take on Birmingham on Tuesday at Vicarage Road. That's right, the return of our old friend, Troy Denia. We need him, don't we need him as a leader in that clubhouse? I think that is what and who we are missing. But if he is injured, whether he is or not, He will, I am sure, make the trip to Vicarage Road for Tuesday's match. Another must win for Watford FC. Good luck to the Golden Boys on Tuesday night and to the new Watford gaffer, Chris Wilder. That is indeed all for now on this episode of Yuan's. I'm Omar Moore. And until next time, 